0: When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com.
1: On this episode, I speak to a former Scotland coach of mine. We actually finished the highest in the Six Nations ever third. You won't guess who it is, but he's the current Dragons director of rugby. He's an all-round legend and he's one of my favorite coaches, but also loved him on TV as well. It's the wonderful, the powerful Dean Ryan. Come on. Big Jim is
2: wearing his heels ha. Marching around the town Get some thrills But it's time to go in now and he's big and red a shot of black cap in now with some book daddy gets loud I'm a beardie cows a shoulder loves and whiskey and he should be like a bow
1: yeah. Dean, thanks mate. First time we've ever spoken in terms of me and the media and you as a coach. We've not spoken before, have we? We've not done a podcast or anything in the back. No, we haven't. No, no.
2: I saw your pitch side once and tried to to avoid your comments. So uh, no, I've stayed away from it, to be
1: honest. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mate, it's class. I always speak about you in high regard, Dean, as the greatest Scotland coach I ever had. You know that still stands. You as the Scotland coach, I can't remember what year it was, but we finished third in the six nations. That's the I know we've I think we've finished joint third in recent years, but I think that's the best finish we ever had. Now,
2: I remind Carl Hogg of it all the time, mate. It was, uh, I remember the last weekend trying to work out what the bonuses were. We were fluctuating around
1: second, third. So uh, good times. Yeah, well, I can tell you the bonuses were extremely high. The match fees weren't, <laughs> but it was all based on bonuses. So I thank you very much for that. Dean, I know you're director of rugby. You're the boss at the Dragons, and we get into that. How much can you give me on the lay of the land with Worcester? I say that because you were coaching there. It's obviously the region in which you're from in terms of Gloucester, Worcester, that kind of area. And I'm trying to think about, not that, you know, we're looking for this kind of mad headline or anything like that, but it seems pretty messy there. And I've had a few players and agents kind of speak to me and say, like, have you heard anything in the media? Can you give us a lay of the land in terms of what you think might be happening? Are you comfortable doing that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, I probably got some knowledge of, of, of the club itself from the inside, but from the outside I'm, I'm really just reading the same headlines that everyone else is and I am probably sharing the same sadness because you know anybody who's worked at Worcester and certainly during the, the era of Cecil Duckworth will we'll have Worcester somewhere within them they, whether it was for three years, whether it's for 10 years is it was oh you know and I don't use this word lightly it was it was it felt like a family club. And that's difficult now in modern professional and it's difficult when you make decisions about people's employment. But Cecil was the reason I went there. And he's probably the reason I left because he was no longer involved in, in a role and I wasn't happy about the direction and that the club was taking. So anybody, and I'm sure you know, anybody that's played there in the past, worked there in the past, will will share the same sadness. I think not only that, from a Worcester perspective, from a, a wider perspective, prl premiership perspective that we, we've got a club for whatever the reasons and you know everybody's going to make assumptions of what those reasons are is is facing the sort of difficulties that i remember the last club and i only remember them because i was at bristol at the time and when richmond went under a lot of players came to the market at that time and and that's where I the fortunate of working with people like p Short and sheridan and people like that and that was the last time that that a club went into administration and you know, administration is, is different from, you know, the challenges. we got basically 70, 80 people with no wages next week, nowhere to go. And, and that, for the sport itself, you know, even post-COVID, post-difficult times, is is, is a minefield for PRL to work its way through because, you know, nobody wants to get to a situation where it's easy to wash yourself in an administration and come back out. Nobody doesn't have sympathy for trying to keep Worcester moving and, and getting, and, you know, there's various... People that have you know, grabbed headlines about solutions, which if they are solutions, great. But the reality is, how have we ended up one of our top clubs in this type of situation and and with this amount of staff at risk? And you know, that's probably where I can give some insight. Is you know, I'm saddened. I'm saddened when any rugby club is looked at as a sort of commercial entity alone. And everybody talks about Worcester and everybody I heard post Cecil was about, yeah, we can get a hotel on there and yes, we can do this. And absolutely commercial reality is a you know key foundation stone of, of your businesses and you align it to, you know, what your numbers are to what's your expectation is your numbers are only part of, do you want to be in the top six? Do you want to be a li- little bit better each year? But if, if you haven't gotten the heart of it, passion for a rugby club, then, then everything else gets a little bit distorted and, and that, Certainly, my time wasn't convinced of the direction it was going and part of the reason for me resigning. And, and certainly as an observer, I've always been worried when people front of house tell you what they can build on, on the training ground. And, you know, Worcester is a fantastic rugby club, a fantastic heart of a community. And, you know, it's probably one of the biggest mini sections I've ever seen in my life. And that has to be a first point. Then you've got to look at your numbers and then you got to align your expectation. You've got to have real passion and passion probably costs you a few quid as well. And you've got to be prepared to do that. And I just feel, well, I haven't heard that come through in any anything I've heard, not from previous times since since I left. And, you know, I think you can apply that sort of triangle to any rugby club, but if it just becomes about, you know, what, what are the numbers? How do we make it work and everything else. It's it's difficult and certainly
1: difficult post COVID to see a way through. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that, Dean, because I've done a few interviews under this arm of the rugby pod in my own show. Some of them are with people that invested, Marco Masotti, for example, who's bought the tile Sharks and is a keen investor solely because he loves rugby. So it's rugby first and then the commercial stuff you know whether or not you know that looks after itself or whether or not that even matters to him you know that that's up to him simon cohen spoke about the great rugby reset that he thinks around the corner mark evans who i interviewed spoke about how unsustainable rugby is at the minute and i think people are trying to put these things together because it feels like we are at a tipping point of rugby whether or not that is covid whether or not that's because the salary cap got out of control whether or not that is because players are demanding ridiculously high salaries whether or not the rugby rights you know there's so much to work through around this but it's really interesting Dean that you are a firm believer and I think naturally you will because you're a great rugby man that it's going to be rugby first and then the commercial element maybe doesn't need to be spoken about to the rugby community that can look after itself
2: yeah no by by no means would I want to you know I'm in a business where at the moment you know it's a challenge for us but it's aligned to our expectations and it's aligned to how we see ourselves growing, but it doesn't, it doesn't take rugby out of the middle of the table. You know, that's where the real danger is. And I think rugby is, you know, whatever people want to name it, it is, you know, the balance between commercial revenues coming in and wages is is just gotta be in a better balance. Is I say there's always a bit of passion. There's always someone comes in and goes, like, I want to be in the top four. There's there's wage caps to stop that going out of hand. But there's always there's an element of that that can shift you around. You know, there's definitely, you look at some of the powerhouses in in the premiership and, and they definitely got better investment in infrastructure, better investment around the edges. They're pushing the, you know, everywhere they can within squad costs. And there's other places you've got to say, do you know what? This is the balance for us. And therefore we've got to tailor our, our business to be looking at young younger players. We've got to look in more about growth. We've got to look at, being more stable over these periods and, and, you know, there's not been any relegation for the last couple of years. So your opportunity to, to run a strategy like that, which pays dividend in a couple of years has been there. So, you know, absolutely. No, nobody can go into a rugby club now and just charge off and just make it about rugby because you you fall down a a cliff pretty quickly, but I'd say the same. Nobody can just come in and just make it a commercial entity is, is you've got to have that, balance of things and you've got to align the expectation and your strategy around those things because you know as i say i work in a place where resources are challenged but we've got a strategy about how we're going to do that we've got a strategy of the type of person and the growth that we want and then we see if we can ruffle a few feathers along the way we don't set ourselves out to be top of the urc because all that will do is force us into a place where we fail or force us into a place that we can't afford and You know, the English Premiership has been a free market for a long time. It has had a check over COVID. I I don't think this is just COVID only. I I don't feel, from what I know about about the club, is this has just been about COVID only, because there's been a lot of support over COVID from both government and and from PRL. And if you manage your way through that, I think, you know, as as you see with a lot of the other clubs, they're starting to come out the other end. Do
1: you think they'll come through? Dean, do you think there's an appetite for someone to buy Worcester? I know there is that commercial element because, as, as you know, as I know, I went there as a young lad. The amount of space, the training facility, you know, it's huge. And from a commercial point of view, and I know the stuff that I've read is that the current owners took that and sold it to themselves, obviously preempting that this could potentially happen. But do you think we're recording on Friday the 27th? This is going to go out the following week. Stuff could change over the weekend. But there is a race against time because it is government, HM, RC, which they don't fuck about, do they?
2: Yeah, and I, I don't think something will be solved before. Is it the payroll at the end of this year? That's the timeline. Is HRMC timeline? I don't know what it is. I don't think an investor is going to come in and whatever the big hole is that you know they've struggled to fill and have to swallow that up plus this month's wage bill before you can actually understand what the numbers look like. So I think the real challenges are probably an RFU and PRL challenges. What do we do with a club in? administration you know in the past they've either penalized them that hard that they're out the premiership but there's no relegation next year find them but what's that going to solve at the moment so they've got to find a way and I think that's you know those people that are sat sort of waiting is is those questions are how do we deal with a club you know I don't think anybody's not around the table that going we want Worcester to come out the other side but what we don't want is Worcester to have a five-day fix that falls over in six months you know I hope because I'd hate to see Worcester disappear from from the top flight. I hope that the period, and if it is, and I really don't know what the timelines are, but if it does go into administration, that people are working to try and get a plan together to do that properly. I understand the risk because, you know, there are other clubs that are quite clearly got some financial challenges. And the last thing PRL wants is... You know, that you can go in and out of administration as a way of clearing debt or whatever. I'm I'm not I'm not knowledgeable enough to how to do that. But got to find a way that there's a enough penalty around the situation, but not something that takes them away from the top flight. And I, I, I really hope that people see it through that lens.
1: Yeah, it would be sad to see. If you're Steve Diamond, what would you be saying to the players now, just firstly on Steve Diamond. You've got a guy that's perceived as a bit of a geezer, a bit of a dodgy dealer, but for all his ills, not from my side, but from media or whatever, whenever you read anything about him, I don't think there's any better person to try and make something happen. Jim, I'll, I'll
2: be honest. I think they've got the best bloke there. He likes a firefight. So, uh, you know, there would be no doubts that that will galvanise him in terms of keeping a group together. I can't sort of even predict how difficult that, that must be. Also is, you know, in reality, Dime's has got probably more contacts than everyone else. There's only people who have been around the Premiership and everything, as, you know, as long as Dimes has. And, you know, there's not many of us left still in the game. And he's got his fingers in lots of pies. That opens up lots of doors. And and so if there is somebody, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to see that come to fruition. So if somebody asked me what director of rugby do you want at Worcester at the moment, Steve Diamond would be the name. Because if there is a solution, there is a way of keeping everyone together, there is a... A door needs opening. Somebody gets interested. Then, then they've probably got the most connected person there that's
1: possible of doing that. Yeah. And what would you be saying to the players? I know it's easier said than done, and you're obviously coaching a team at the minute, so don't want to give away too much. But a lot of players are chatting to me. They don't really know anything. My advice to them would be: look, you need to go and look for something else quite quickly because it must be so unsettling. You think just you think the top end of players. Do Van der Merwe say he's on two hundred grand, three hundred grand, four hundred, whatever the number is. Now, that's going to be unsustainable with everything they're going through. And then you look at the the middle tier of players and the young lads coming through. Surely you'd be like, look, you, regardless of what happens, you need to be looking elsewhere.
2: Yeah, and, and that's I suppose that's the natural instinct. But, you know, what is available at this time? You know, not only is salary cap pretty tight at the moment. You know, I just know from a director of rugby, you don't have a headroom at the moment that suddenly you've got a sort of bank that you can use. And I, I think in some ways that the big earners are probably the most fortunate because they've got the most choice, you know, whether that's in England or whether it's in France for a year or whatever, they got the most chance of, of getting work. I don't see any of the names that are flying around struggling for work. In reality, middle tier is, is the one that will struggle because nobody's holding a slot open now for a journeyman second row to be fourth choice. So that's the real sad part as, as well as staff, you know, you think of the infrastructure now around premiership rugby club is, is huge. So, that's the real concern. so I suppose if I was Steve, there's a couple of things you know every individual has got to look after himself and his family he's never never get in the way of that you can't hold people together on something that's nothing in a week's time. What you can do is is offer some advice which I'm sure Steve's capable of doing. You don't have to solve that in a week, especially if you're you know one of the bigger players you're likely you don't have to go rushing off now and then suddenly something's changed next Wednesday and you go oh, I wish I hadn't done that. You got to. I don't know that due to play Glasgow. I don't know how they'll play because I, I, a genuine open question is, you know, post, I suppose, administration is how are they insured without valid contracts and everything else? So just that whole, you sort of gut feel is. You know let's keep everyone together, play a few games, see what happens. You can probably, you know, if it was a steel works down, down the road, you could probably keep that business going, waiting for an investor coming in. I just don't know how that works. And I suppose that's the challenge for a RFU PRL sort of body to how do they keep it moving? If Steve can keep people there and he can keep fulfilling things for two or three weeks while investor, if there's one there, is 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 putting through his due diligence. I just don't know how that works if a contract's not valid. So really difficult times and nothing we've ever seen before. You know, as I say, I think it was 99 when Richmond went down. Is You know, we're only two years in, so, you know, it it just didn't feel the same. As say, most of the... I was pretty fortunate at Bristol that, you know, some of that sort of just fell into into the Bristol side. So, yeah, a lot of work for those... A lot of suits that are sat in the background need to come up with some answers about how they keep a rugby club moving
1: in in this difficult time. Yeah, um on... managing a rugby club but also owning a rugby club being director of a rugby club it's mixed isn't it between the general public people in the media people involved in that are you of the guys where you'd like someone like a Cecil to come in? you know Cecil gave his life but also a lot of money and he had a lot of money and he wanted to do that Nigel Ray we've seen the same Steve Lansdowne exactly the same we're seeing these people come in and just throw money at it with probably little return Are you for that, or do you think there needs to be a middle ground? Obviously, the salary cap we've mentioned has been reduced. Like when you look at all this going on, like where, what would you be veering towards?
2: I think the sport has to go to that better balance, which is less reliant on single investor. If you go back over the last fifteen years, definitely some investors that will want to do the numbers for the for the family trust to go. What are we losing that? So I think it's got to get a, a better balance. I think there's always. There's always a part where there's a passion of an investor or a group of people. And, you know, having worked for a number of different ones, you know, it's often easier if it's a single one, but I think you've got to get the sport where it's less reliant on those individuals. Cause we can't afford to be every three years with a situation where either an investor's appetite has changed or an investors financial situation has changed. Therefore the rugby club's at risk. That's the place that we have to get away from. We can, you know, and I've been in plenty of, of environments which have been great while we're on the up. The investor's going well and, you know, my time at Gloucester is And then there was a challenge for the investor to support in the same way that we had and very difficult strategically to hold that together. And, you know, we had some great times and, and then you have to pull it apart. So that I think as a sport, we've got to get more stable in that space. And and that's not just in the premiership it's everybody where that balance between Ways to revenue model is more stable but I do always think there's a piece of passion on the top and it, it needs a lid on it because you know one person can't come in and just drive a club you know a million miles away from everybody else but I do think there's a bit of flex at the top because sport is passion it's not it's not a spreadsheet and I think you know it is something that you know some of your best moments are built on passions with people that have taken some risks somewhere and had the fingers burned somewhere. And, you know, one of my biggest regrets that Cecil actually left the rugby club before, you know, I could give him the return that I'd, I'd sort of talked about trying to do. And, you know, he was, he was happy to support something that was long-term, but we all want to live those moments, you know, and so investors want, I saw you, you know, talk about it recently, that minute of high when something really fantastic is happening. they want that as well, when their risk and their investment and everything else is part of that. And that, I just think we've got to be careful that sport doesn't rub that out as well. So it's a balancing
1: act of, of of a number of things. Yeah, you said passion and risk. You know, one of them thing goes with you in terms of your passion for the game. You mentioned that kind of quote you gave us in the change. Whether it was me, you gave it personally or you gave it to the group about like how hard are you willing to work? I mean, I've spoken about it on the rugby pod. I've spoken about it to a few people. Like I remember that you specifically saying how hard are you willing to work? for that one moment of euphoria, which might never come. You know, that one moment that not many people feel. And I talk about that moment that I had a couple of times and it was for Saracens at the back end of my career. I remember you saying it. So when it was happening, I was like, that's what Dean Ryan was talking about. This feeling, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now. That feeling which you can't explain is what I'm feeling right now. And I'll never feel that again. And that's what you are saying, that passion to go in and try and do everything you can to feel that. Absolutely. And, and
2: to really do that for me, you know, I, I've been fortunate, to had some great experiences at rugby, but Newcastle was huge for me because it took a huge risk. And I did it with some friends that were close to, I moved my family there. My reputation was on the line. And I remember winning the premiership uh, first year in and it only lasts about a minute. It took like three or four years. I put the whole family at risk I ripped reputation of eight, nine years. And it lasted about a minute, but it was brilliant. And a lot of people don't ever experience it. And that's what I talk about is how invested are you in something? How deep are you prepared to go to get that minute? You know, it, it seems mad, doesn't it? Is you, you, you know, you, you know yourself, you, you move around, you take family with you, you huge part of you know, your energy and, and your soul into something. And then you experience it if you're lucky, because not everyone gets to experience it. And it only lasts about a minute, but it's, it's the highest high you can ever have. and And that's, you know, if you've been fortunate to experience it, you know, then you realise it. You realise how special it is, and and it's for those. And I think investors look for that sometimes as well. They don't have what we have is the fortunate thing of going on a field. But I know, you know, from a Cecil or Tom Walkinshaw, is the moments where, were there when you won really big moments. They share them with you because they they've been involved on that journey. They've taken a bit of risk. They put a bit of themselves in. They just haven't done it in the same way that we do it on the field and. That's the bit that I'm talking about because that's the high that makes sport different from anything else.
1: Yeah, well, when I watched Leicester win the Premiership and it panned on to Steve Borthwick, who's given nothing all year, I could see he was having that minute. You could see. Yeah, yeah. that you, you And you, you could see, and then nothing after. And then I was chatting to Deeks and he was on the phone the next day saying, How are we are going to get better? but. Just on the risk element, Dean, so we've spoken about the passion part, and again, I've spoken about you hugely having a, a huge influence on in my career. The risk, you've taken a big risk by going to the Dragons. You might not see it as a risk, but it seems like it is a risk. And I know we're going to talk about the positives now going this season. I was looking through the squad and you know, there's obviously changes happening and it's easy to talk about teams that are losing. You know, We spit more on the rugby pod and talk a lot of shit sometimes. But one thing we also speak about is it's easy from the outside looking in saying, oh, this isn't going well. You know, Glasgow got beat 70 points by Leinster. It isn't good enough. The amount of work that goes in. But you've taken a risk, it seems, with your kind of history to go to the Dragons.
2: I, I do. I see it as a risk, and and, and I don't. Is the, the reason to go was some of my frustration and some of those things we talked about through the Worcester situation or, or the Gloucester situation was being involved in strategies that people didn't have the balls to see through. You know, too many people... and you know, I've done it myself, go for a job, tell everyone that you're going to be successful in 12 months and it's bullshit and then hope that it goes well for 10 months and then you get another contract. Instead of actually going and I remember doing this at Worcester and the same at Dragons, go, no, you actually need major surgery. You need two or three years of reprioritizing where your youngsters are coming from. You need to keep the business stable over that, that period because at the moment you're recruiting aging internationals of 34 who are costing too much money. People, A lot of people agree to that and then 12 months down the line go, it's not going as fast as I want it. So the the Dragon situation was an opportunity. I was speaking with David Buttris about trying to take the Dragon. So firstly, set them up in a situation that we could take it into private ownership. It's currently owned by WIU. There's huge challenges within Wales around funding and, and the Dragons is the lowest funded disproportionately against the other regions. So when you write the challenge... You know, you're right mad after it if you think, you know, are we we going to ever try and do something here? But the opportunity was to be on a board, be more stable, do a strategy that actually plays itself out at the same time as try and influence some of the revenue streams from WIU, and that's going through change at the moment, to actually, you know, get a slightly different feel around being involved in something from the tough situation have been in the last two or three years to see if you can get it growing. Now you've got to do that in the URC, which, you know, when you've got the sharks at full, full bore and Leinster at full bore can sometimes be painful, but there isn't any other way. We're, you know, we we're, we're, we're a low resource region, but you can still make that healthy. You can still make it fun. You can still keep it together. I mean, last year, we, we probably was the biggest change period that we've ever had. The first two years aboard, especially over COVID, we talked about staying stable because of how unstable the business had been. But there's no point in staying stable if you can't get growth. And we changed 16 players last year. And, you know, we actually, a lot of the exiles in the English, a lot of the names you'll know from the English premiership was the market that we went to. Now, we, we definitely want to see growth. We want to see it a bit better. We want to ruffle a few more feathers are we batting in the top end of the URC? No, we're not. And it's how you, you balance that business when that's happening. A lot of people come in and go, yeah, we're, you know," I, when I was at Gloucester, it was easy. Yeah, we're heading for Europe and we're heading for premiership. And it was realistic. A lot of people talk about that and it's never realistic. So trying to frame you know what your goals are and everything else is, is a challenge for us. But it doesn't mean that we can't do things well. It doesn't mean that we... Can't ruffle a few feathers along the line. we got, you know, likes of Tane Bash and Ben Carter and Aaron Owen coming. Will Reed coming really healthy. Two of them are currently in the national squad at 22 years old, 23 years old. You know, Will Reed coming through and Aaron Owen will be two names that come through. So we, we, you know, I'll go right back at the beginning. We understand the commercial reality of what the Dragons is. We understand where our expectations are. We definitely have a passion and David's been fantastic in in the support of a strategy. Do we need to see some green shoots? Absolutely. But, you know, it always context that
1: we're batting in a league at times in South Africa needs a tin out on. Well, we'll talk about the South African influence of the URC in a minute. One thing I want to pick up on there, because I wasn't too sure, and I, I thought it'd be good for you to explain it, is that I thought the Dragons were privately funded. Are they still funded by the Welsh Union, because I know there's a few different layers of how it works in Wales.
2: They're, they're still owned by the, the Welsh Union. Everybody's funded by the Welsh Union, by a mechanism that, as I said, we, we've been trying to influence for some years and is going through. The, the revenues coming in to a governing body are have been challenged over, over recent years. So the, the, the current mechanism is is being reviewed at the moment. But we are currently, until we can understand what the future looks like in terms of funding, and how we move back to something that's more equal, owned by the WIU. We absolutely want to take that business private, and so do the other three, so that we can have a better strategy for, for all the regions in Wales. And we would have expected to do that before now, but nobody saw COVID come in. So for the last two years, COVID has, has been a huge you know, challenge for governing bodies and Wales, URC teams, as, as well as the premiership side. So. We're hopeful, and, and we're hopeful things are moving in the right direction, certainly in terms of understanding what, what the financing of the Welsh game looks like. And when we get better understanding of that and, and more comfort with that, we're definitely looking at taking it back into a private ownership model.
1: Yeah, and to manage expectation, it was interesting talking to Marco at how the salary cap works in South Africa. I mean, I thought it was an open checkbook to the player. Seemingly, it's not. It worked out about 35 when i spoke to martin and i the ceo of the urc and pushed him on what the salary cap is he obviously revealed there isn't one you're hearing rumors at leinster that it's 13 mil euros whatever could be 15 could be could be 16 it could be more are you privy to what other teams are paying because i think it's important when we talk to someone like you who is director of rugby at the dragons and the expectation is well you know you need to be mid table or you need to be playing in the champions cup and then you look at actually the teams above and you look at the money that they're spending, which ultimately that it is, we've spoken about that around the premiership. If you can sign the best players, the expectation is to to win something. What I mean, what's it like when you go up against Leinster and you know that it's an open checkbook? And what are the expectations?
2: That's the balance of, of my job, how we keep things moving when, you know, we've had some great results against Leinster, but is, you know, is the expectation that we go against them and beat them? It's it's difficult, but I haven't been in a in a game of rugby that I don't believe I can win. So it doesn't it doesn't take that away. You just got to try and manage how you talk about everything. Otherwise, you're on this roller coaster that you disappoint yourself every every weekend. So URC is a, a complex competition, is because you know everybody's funded in some way or other by the governing body. Certainly, you know the, the Irish clubs, they top that up by the commercial revenues that the likes of, of Leinster and Munster can can operate, the very powerful systems now that have been in place and, and grow through Leinster Academy, the Welsh regions are, are, are facing into some tough decisions over, you know, and that's not you know, just me from a Dragon's perspective is the money isn't there to keep going in the same direction that they've been traveling. So they have to find a, a different way. And Although Wales have been very successful, it's been very difficult to marry Wales' success with regional success underneath. And that, and that includes, you know, regions like the Scarlets that contribute a huge amount. So the whole review of how that's done to continue to grow Welsh regions underneath is crucial. And, you know, Scotland, they've got two regions. They actually have been really competitive. You know, I think the Glasgow situation, I thought, you know, we, we crashed into Edinburgh and I thought Edinburgh were outstanding last year, but we were treating edinburgh as the year before thinking this was a game and under my play i thought they were outstanding and really knocked our confidence a little bit because we weren't at the races in that game so everybody's up in the game and the challenge for wales regions is you know you're in danger at the moment or just like pedaling on a you know on a static bike is we've got to get a strategy that at least looks forward at the moment. We're looking year to year to year. How do we survive, et cetera? It's, it's not enough. You know, as I said, you're, you're operating now. And it, it's, you know, I, I use the South Africans because it's the first time we've had the opportunity to go against sides like that. But tail end of last year, when all their spring bots were back, wow. You know, they were I, I couldn't, we played, Probably as well as we could play against the Sharks, and I mean that with the context, we couldn't hold a scrum. You know that went to a drive. We couldn't stop that, and and it was just enormous power. And and we've got to work out a way in Wales that allows us to compete at that, and not just generate twenty five players to operate in the Six Nations. And and that's that's happening at the moment. It's definitely happening slower than than I would have wanted, but is. I think for the first time, there's everybody trying to find a solution, which is a common solution rather than a solution for individual regions.
0: CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores. With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe facial moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there.
1: At the top end of the table, are you happy seeing... The South African teams feasting, and then when it comes to obviously the Bulls, I didn't see them winning. I thought it was going to be a Leinster Stormers final. And then the Bulls, I mean, the style of rugby, which I'm sure you love to watch as well, just that brute physicality. Are you liking seeing someone challenge the likes of I say Leinster because they won it four years in a row? I'm never afraid of the standard going up. It just puts pressure on how do we answer that. I, I know from
2: conversations we know the future. What's the league look like in five years' time? Was the league look like in ten years' time? So I'm never against the standard going up. You just got to answer that internally about how do we keep pace with that. The last thing we want to do is stop, you know, try and put a a, a glass ceiling on the top so that we can catch up. You know, I don't, that's not sport. You know, to see Leinster not dominate URC is, you know, and, and I'm sure from an Irish perspective, that's exactly what they wanted. From a Welsh perspective, we've got to come up with our own answers to keep at that pace. And I, you know, I'm not saying that I've got all those, but is that is the pace that it's going? And you know, we have to work out what our answer is, what's our funding model, how do we develop people, and how do our players over the next three, five, eight years compete to that level? Because if you don't, ultimately, that'll play itself out of the international window. You can't keep leaping people from a struggling side to a competitive Six Nations. They've been You know, I think Wales have have had a generation for a time now that is going to go through change probably over the next couple of years. Where's the next people coming from and where's their competitive experiences? You know, if you look at the English Premiership, the European experience, and you know that from Saracens, was the closest experience. They're huge games and, and they're slightly different from internationals, but the intensity is enormous. To play in knockout games of Europe is one of the greatest feelings because you're at club game and a club friend, but it can be as intense and as physical and as fast as the international game, sometimes slightly different. And it's experiencing those things where players really grow, if they're going to operate on the international arena and Mm -hmm. Wales just have to work hard to understand what that model is. that's going to get us closer to what international rugby is. So people can have more experiences, more winning experiences, more competitive
1: experience. Do you think there is an element of that, Dean, the fact that when you look at the club level and you look at the lack of European success in the Champions Cup you know, at the top table with these top teams, but then you look at Wales, like even in the World Cup, they play against South Africa nearly beat them and they limp into that game that they've overachieved. So the expectation is from the union there that it's actually the model that we've got internationally actually is working whether or not it's through design default and whether or not that runs its course but they must be looking at that thinking well actually from an international point of view this model is working but it must be frustrating I think like you've said like I spoke to Scott Quinnell he was emotionally driven by it I don't think he knew really what was going on but he delivered it to me like I was going to run through a wall for Wales because he was that passionate about it
2: yeah I, I, absolutely because you know, Wales have had extraordinary success when you look at it over the last, you know, one under GATS, the number of Six Nations successes, and, and two, you know, even though, you know, I don't think Wayne would say they've played anywhere near the best. they, they won a Six Nations, they went down, win a game against South Africa. And, and the Welsh players have this uncanny ability just to turn up in a game and, and throw everything at it. If you're involved in that, it absolutely seems the right thing to... You know and, and I think Warren was the first to look, put ring all you know, get a ring around the international players, look after them, make sure their playing programs are, are all Welsh tailored, make sure they're all ready to go, etc. That allows you to play that. Whether that allows you to look five years and 10 years into the future and have created the next tier, probably not because the teams that sit underneath won't be competitive. We were last year just to bring that alive six, seven games, one score in all those games. Our internationals went away, and you know, it, it's 30, 40 points. And so, it's very difficult to develop a uh, Will Reed and uh, an RNO in a space where it's that unstable. You're not really getting the competition experiences that, that you would have wanted. So, now I think there's a balance. Certainly, Wales, I think, is, is still seeing that. You know, Welsh players can turn up in Southern Hemisphere and, and, and have extraordinary results. I don't think any of us saw that, not after our experiences in the URC. But we do, as, as say, as a governing body and those in, invested in the Welsh game, need to say, what does it look like in five years? What does it look like in 10 years? Because, you know, when you're looking at an academy product, you can't just start it next week and then it turns out next month. Is you, You're putting four or five years' worth of investment in. What are you doing around your age grade? What's your staffing quality and, and numbers? What's your investment in in programming and development of people you're doing that from 1718, and that's where the english model is a, a treadmill that just keeps turning 12 times that is generating players The welsh model has shrunk itself to try and survive at at senior regional level and they look at is that is it really the proper investment around age grade is it properly invested in academy structure and, and it needs to go back and do that because that's the thing that says in five years time I'll start to turn out some players, but it's not an easy fix because it hasn't happened. And when something hasn't happened, you can't just switch the lights on and go. It's going to be okay next year. You need to make look into that now. They need to make some decisions about where that money is invested. You know, senior squad versus infrastructure, and they need to be patient because post 2023, you just got to look at the age range of Welsh players. It's going to be a transition of an international side and there'll be another one three or four years after that, and there'll be another one three or four years that, and they've got to make sure the wheels are turning to generate the players required.
1: There was talk of four becoming two, so the regions splitting up. I mean, again, just loosely heard it, obviously talking to people like Tom Shanklin, doing a bit of the punditry stuff for Premier. Was that ever a thing? Is that something you could see potentially happening? Sadly, yeah, because
2: when you put the numbers on a spreadsheet, you go, oh, that doesn't work for four. But any time I've ever spoken, you've got to look at, you know, Wales has got a challenge of football and therefore the number of opportunities coming through is crucial. In in anything that you're looking at performance sport at the end, you want the best people with best experiences to be at there. You've got to have the widest base you can have at the bottom. You know, from Scotland, the challenges of trying to find competition outside of those two regional games, they've struggled for for years about what's the competitive experience underneath. So I think Wales needs to hold stronger at the base because that's where the real challenge is over the next five or six years. They need to invest in those areas and we probably need to take some pain at the top end of the, of the triangle. And I say that doesn't always get unanimous support because some people want to just sit in the here and now, but I've never heard anything that says, what does it look like in five years and, and get the answers right. So absolutely for me is four regions is crucial to create four pathways, to have four times 60 players at 16, four times you know, 40 players at 18, 20. It's those numbers because we all know, you know, and, and having my experiences in time at pathway, picking a kid at 16 is pretty difficult, especially in a sport where they grow to be as big as you. So how we do that, we'll have to keep those pathways open and the numbers high as long as we can. Anyone who starts trying to select and go, yeah, he's the man at 16, 17 is probably going to be inaccurate. So the wider, the more the more investment we then put around those, I believe the longer-term health of, of Welsh rugby and regional rugby would be benefited from.
1: Yeah, that's classed to hear. Talking of pathways and obviously your experiences with England, they did well in the summer against Australia. There's talk of the next coach coming in after the World Cup with Eddie. As a proud Englishman, do you see the next coach being English like how are you about all that and you spent a bit of time within that English rugby seems like in a very good place in terms of the international model
2: absolutely and the talent in England's enormous and that's you do really understand that when you go you know either you know time at Scotland and, and time in Welsh is you just understand the, the challenge of the resources, numbers of people you know the numbers of players that are coming through And I believe that in coaching. I think English, sort of four or five years ago, when we were looking at how we run coach development, the first thing was like, how do we get people in the jobs? Because, you know, there's people like Dimes and myself and Dino that have danced around a while, but where's the youngsters? And when the youngsters come, how do they survive? Because how I survive, probably not possible now, because, you know, it's a higher and fire business when you're in the premiership. But I was delighted to see Douse come through. Delight is to see Sanderson go and do his own gig. You now big admirer and McCall and Baxter. You know, there's 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 good talent. So it, it, does it have to be English? No. Do you have to have a had a thorough look at the English game? Yes. Because I think there's real talent in coaching. I don't think some of the young guys, you know, I, I thought what Steve did last year at Leicester was was amazing. I like to see him just really build Leicester and and do that. I'm always interested, a huge admirer of Rob Baxter and what he's done, but he seems so entrenched in in building what what they do down in Exeter. And Mark McCall, who else has done it as many times as him? There's there's nobody done it as successful and and as often as as there. So there's there's plenty of options in the English game. I, you know, at a time when Eddie certainly came in, that that wasn't the case. There was. You know, it was a lot of foreign coaches, certainly in the head positions. And it's always easy, uh, you know, I'm a time at the English Premiership. It's always easy to look at someone who's successful in another country. It doesn't necessarily, it's, it's bloody hard to be an English coach, come through the system, get a gig, last for three years, that three years be reasonably successful and then go for a director rugby job. And then at least I'd always say you've got to last two years and because otherwise you can't work again. Because nobody sees you, and and I'm really pleased. I, I think the game's in in really good health, around some really good English coaches coming through, and I, and I would, I, I for one would be an
1: advocate of making sure that one of those had an opportunity. If you were to guess, or you were to think, who do you reckon? Who would be the top two runners. I agree. I, I think I think it's Baxter's time. I think he's done so much extra. You know, yeah.
2: I, I've always been there. Is you know, I say if Steve does five years, you know, I'd hate him seeing going international team at three years' time, be out
1: trying to look for a club job. Steve's got to stay at Leicester. He's got to stay there. Win Europe, maybe.
2: Absolutely. Because those are the sort of, those are your real chance. I know, from, you know, he really wanted to get in the club game and he really wanted to lead a you know, a club side. And what a fantastic year that's been. So can Steve coach in national? Yeah, absolutely. He's done it for so long. Can he head it up? Absolutely. But I think we, we've got to look at our coaches' lives through a longer period you know, and so if I ever speak to somebody who's 35 going, I'm going to go coaching, first thing you need to work out is how you're going to still be doing this when you're 55, because, uh, you know, it's a pretty brutal business. And when you've got a huge amount of experience like a Rob Baxter and a Mark McCall, that's a real benefit to the international arena because the challenges that come internationally are incredibly varied, incredibly intense, and you're dealing with a lot of, high profile people a lot of big personalities and those players those two coaches can do it so they would definitely be the top two and what a great pipeline douse turnison borthwick great
1: yes kibington's
2: doing well at gloucester absolutely yeah great great pipeline of of talent keep them stable keep them supported keep them learning and then i think we're in really
1: good health going forward yeah that's you saying that i agree with you what do you think the rfu are looking at i interviewed scott robertson as well Obviously, they're back to Ian Foster. You could arguably see him taking the job on after that, which seems like a, a seamless transition. But do you think there's a chance he might take it?
2: I, I really hope not. I, I just, uh, I just don't think, you know. And, and and deep down, I know there's times that coaches work all over the place. There is a little bit of going. We've got real talent in this country. Allow it, allow it to come through. And so I, I, I wouldn't see that. Can I predict what they are? If you do, not a chance. So uh, I have no idea what they do. I hope Connor and everyone else that's in there, from a rugby perspective, looks at how good our our coaching game is and our coaching pathway. And I think the hardest league around is you know you, I can't hide from you know the French league slightly different challenge, but as as equally as as difficult as the English Premiership. For to survive in there as a young English coach, to be still doing it, to be successful in there, good credit to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dee, before you go, I just want to talk about the media quickly. You were so good. I'm talking you up an absolute storm on here. I'll make sure that transfers into when we're doing reviews and stuff but of the games. But the media landscape, you did a great job for Sky. Do you watch the media much? Like, how do you think the landscape of that as I'm interested because you were so good on that. Obviously, the URC are pushing as well in terms of changing it, making it more entertainment, You know, more kind of fun.
2: I, I loved it. I really did. It was a really great couple of years where difficult end at at Gloucester and also difficult personally in, in sort of, you know, my personal life, had some challenges and I just fell in love with the game, going to games, especially, you know, if you've been fortunate and, you know, some of the places you've been, you've been at some of the big games with Saris and everything else. With Sky, you're at every one of them. So you're at La Rochelle versus Leinster. You're at Munster versus Claremont. And, I just fell in love with the game again you also don't give a shit about who wins so the whole perspective of looking at the game again was was just different when i look at it i always concerned and even going back to my time because there's definitely people that are in there because of enormous high profile and they attract people people listen to them it's just a balance between being able to get people to watch and educate them and you know i'm always a fan of of people that can come on and educate I know when you've got 10 minutes and it's get to Jim, get to Dean, you get like 30 seconds, but I still think you've got a responsibility to get that balancing out right. Otherwise, we are watching the same thing in five years because the bloke in the pub watching you, he's listening to what you say. And if we're just going like entertainment, entertainment, we're, we're not watching. And the game moves. You know how fast the game moves. And if you're out of the game, it moves so fast. Sometimes you're talking shit about it in two or three years. And I remember going back to Scotland and having the conversation with Sky and said, I have to go back. And they said, do you know the risks? The risks are that that, that blows up in your face. And I said, I have to, because I'm a coach. I'm not here because I've played 100 times for England. I'm here because I'm a coach. And therefore, I've got to go back and try and make that work. So I'm always a fan of seeing more people, more perspective, but the getting that balance right between attracting people to watch us and educating people that come and watch us.
1: Well, Dean Ryan, mate, that was class. Thank you so much. And thanks for opening up and being as candid as you were. Mate,
2: no problem. Loved it.
1: Good to see you. Cheers, man.